excited for all of you to be here. Um, if you weren't looking for the marriage class, um, there are lots of amazing classes outside. But if you are looking for the marriage class, go ahead and grab a seat. We're going to go to God in a word of prayer. And we're going to dig right into the scriptures. Amen? All right. Let's go to our great God and Father right now in a word of prayer. God, Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your compassion. God, we thank you for this amazing gift that you've granted us to grant us this opportunity to be married. Uh, God, we, we recognize what a, what a gift it is, what a trust it is, Father. And we pray that we would uh, prove faithful to you in our marriages. Uh, God, we do pray, God, that you can help our sights to be lifted so that we're not focused on ourselves or even on our spouses, but that our eyes are set on you. And that with that perspective, God, we're able to put our trust in you to have marriages that bring you honor and glory and lives that bring you honor and glory. God, thank you for all that you're doing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, Tasha and I are, are very grateful that along with the Bartolis, we get the opportunity to be able to talk to you about you and me forever. And uh, we want to invite you, if you don't mind, just turning over to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Um, now, I got to be honest with you. We have a lot of amazing people that are in this room and that are in other rooms all around us that quite honestly, we feel like would do an even better job than we would. But we're grateful that God's entrusted us to be able to share with you uh, about marriage and, uh, and really having a godly perspective. Um, we've had the opportunity, Tasha and I have, uh, to go through a number of different marriage programs and get some great training, uh, including, uh, you know, his needs, her needs, um, you know, a number of different emotional health programs uh, like uh, I Choose Us that really have been very transformative in our faith. But I do have to say that I really appreciate the Chan's uh, book here, You and Me Forever, because of the very clear perspective on it being all about our relationship with God and really all about our walk with God and our discipleship. Um, just as a point of reference, what I also really appreciate uh, about Francis and Lisa is that they've uh, made this book accessible to anyone. So you can actually, right now, if you like, you can download uh, the mobile app for You and Me Forever, and that includes the book. And if, you're, uh, if you like to cheat like I do, you can actually push the button where you can have the book read to you, which is super awesome. So you can, but don't do that right now. Don't read it right now, but you can read it afterwards, amen? And, uh, and also, there's an amazing uh, number of resources like the workbook that you can also purchase. All the proceeds uh, from uh, the book sales and from the workbook really go to help uh, with human trafficking, which is really amazing. So um, it's really great to be able to, to buy a book and know that it's making an impact in your life, but also in the lives of others. Uh, in this uh, fantastic book, uh, You and Me Forever, uh, there's uh, quite a bit that's covered here. And, um, and I'm just gonna go to my notes so I can be uh, helpful. Um, there's quite a bit that's covered here. What's also really amazing is the interactive nature of the book, particularly for those of us that are using the mobile app, 
is there actually videos that are embedded that really help you with your learning and with your connectivity to really understand, uh, you know, really what, what this book is all about. Again, uh, we're going to focus on one portion, uh, focusing primarily on uh, lessons about humility and discipleship, and then the Bartolis are going to come in and just knock it clear out of the park. Amen? And uh, so I'm actually going to read a scripture, and then Tasha's going to share a little bit. Uh, I, I should have introduced this is my lovely wife, Tasha. And she's been kind enough to be married to me for 19 years, which I'm really grateful for. And, uh, and we have two amazing kids, uh, Makai, who's 15, and Journey, who's 10. So in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 1, it says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And I think for us, you know, one of the things that really stands out from this book is the very clear call to humility. Humility is the cardinal virtue. And, and for, for marriage to work, it's so critical that we really have a heart of humility. And Tasha's going to share, and then I'm going to share a few more things about that. All right. Are you guys awake out there? Okay, good. I know it's been a long day. You guys are incredible sitting down, listening, and writing notes, and, you know, ready to learn something amazingly profound about marriage, and good luck on that. We're going to do our best. <laughs> now, writing this class, it's just, it's been really helpful to me, because you know what I realized? I realized that while me and Will were dating, that I actually had a really pretty spiritual perspective on marriage. I literally, I dreamt about being married. I, I knew, and the thought about the thought about being married was just, this is going to be the man that gets me to heaven. I'm going to help him get to heaven. We're going to show scriptures with each other. We're going to pray together. We're going to reach out to people together. We're going to serve together. Like I was just, it was just so spiritual, you know? Can you relate to that? That was, that was how I thought about it while I was dating. And then finally, this special day when I get engaged happens. He asked me to marry him. This is amazing. And then I started thinking about the honeymoon as things got closer and closer and closer. And let me tell you the things I was thinking about at that point. So at that point, I'll, I'm not going to go there, but I'll go somewhere else. At that point, <laughs> the men are getting nervous. At that point, <laughs> The thing I was most excited about with our honeymoon was sitting down and watching movies together. And not, and holding hands and hugging each other and like snuggling and not having to let go and not having to have boundaries, stinking boundaries. You know, I, I, I was looking forward to like, to talking to him endlessly with not ever ceasing. You know, like, I was looking forward to these long, deep conversations where I didn't have to leave him ever. 
You know, that's what I was thinking about. And I mean, yes, I was thinking about sex. I was. It's true. But he was really thinking about it. I, I mostly was thinking about, I, I, like, I dreamt about us being old together, like old and wrinkly and walking together with our walkers and our canes, you know, and then when we couldn't walk anymore, you know, all the electric wheelchair races we would have. I mean, it was just blissful, right? But I did not realize that my perspective had changed just that quick, from a spiritual one to one that was temporary. Somehow a happy marriage had become my goal instead of eternity with God. And this may not have been how it happened for you. You know, maybe you had a spiritual perspective and kids turned, it every, turned everything around. You know, all of a sudden you're just in survival mode. And every second you got, it wasn't to spend with God, it was to spend with each other. There's so many life experiences and circumstances that can shift our perspective from an eternal one to a temporary one of just happiness. One of the things I realized very quickly being married is happiness is very temporary. I will tell you, so this is, so my husband went out of town, this is a perfect example. My husband went out of town for a week and I missed him tremendously. I could not wait for him to get home. As soon as he got home, he got on my nerves. Happiness is temporary, and we can easily, we can get so drawn to what is good and miss God, who is the absolute greatest. I realized that I had made pleasing my husband more important than pleasing God. How did I shift there? Now, listen to this. When, when I get dressed in the morning, first of all, all the women in here, we all want to be beautiful to our husbands, right? We all want to be beautiful to somebody. Some, we started off wanting to be beautiful and please our mothers or our fathers. And then when we get married, we want to please our husbands and we want to be beautiful to them. When I wake up in the morning, when I get dressed, I'm thinking about my husband and what he's going to think about me. Am I by myself on that? Oh, okay. Oh, so it's normal. Okay. So I'm thinking about that. And when he notices and he tells me, it means the world to me. And I play it off like it's not a big deal, but it is everything to me. And ladies, there's nothing inherently wrong with that part of it. You wanting your husband to think you're beautiful. But if that's the thing that makes your day, then that's a problem. So as I was preparing for this class, I ran across this scripture. It's Isaiah 61. Can we read that together? It's Isaiah 61, verse 10. And I'm reading from a, a Bible called the, the Voice. It's the Voice version, so it'll be a little bit different. In verse 10, it says, I am filled with joy and my soul vibrates with exuberant hope because of the eternal, my God. For he has dressed me with the garment of salvation and wrapped me with the robe of righteousness. 
It is, it is as though I'm dressed for my wedding day in the very best, a bridegroom's garland and a bride's jewels. I read this and I was reminded that I am meant to get my ultimate joy and exuberant hope from my God. And everything my husband gives me and everything I experience with him is just the cherry on top. Because God is the one who has dressed me with the garment of salvation. He is the one that has clothed me in the robe of righteousness that makes me more beautiful to him than any wedding dress could ever make me. And that's saying a lot because we all love how we looked on our wedding day, right? That is the longest we ever took to get dressed. We had a professional makeup artist and we had the most expensive garment we probably have ever owned in our lives. But the truth is, it's the day we, it's, oh yeah, I said that, sorry. It's the day we took the most time, yes. But I ask myself, if it's my righteousness and my humility that makes me beautiful to God, then how beautiful would God say I am today? Am I being humble in the way that I serve my husband? Am I being righteous in the way that I treat my husband? In how I talk to my husband? In my thoughts about my husband? Listen, God said that it is not good for man to be alone. And ladies, we know this, right? So why do we get irritated when they need us? They need us. They were made to need us, and we were made to be their helpmate. Amen? And not to make them feel stupid when they need us, but to lift them up and to help them to fix it. Amen? When we're in, when we're in an argument or a disagreement, in that moment, ladies, ask yourself, am I clothed in righteousness and humility in this situation? Or am I, in this very moment, clothed in my pride and my self-righteousness? I have to ask myself these questions. Is it more important for me to win this battle than it is for me to please God? Listen, I want my exuberant joy to ultimately come from my Lord. As we look at Philippians 2, 1 through 4, I have to read this version to you. It says, if you find any comfort from being, the, from being in Christ, if his love brings you some encouragement, if you experience true companionship with the Spirit, if his tender, tenderness and mercy fill your heart, then brothers and sisters, here is one thing that would complete my joy. Come together as one in mind and spirit and purpose, sharing in the same love. Don't let selfishness and prideful agendas take over. Embrace true humility and lift your heads to extend love to others. Get beyond yourselves and protecting your own interests. Be sincere and secure your neighbor's interests first. Amen? Amen. We know that this is Paul speaking and he's, he's telling the Philippians, make my joy complete. But this is how God feels. He wants us to make his joy complete. Ladies, is that our goal in our marriages? Because if it is, then we can't let our selfish and prideful agendas take over. If it is, 
then we cannot make it hard for our husbands to lead us. If it is, we can't fight to be right all the time in our arrogance. If it is, then we can't demean our husbands when they disagree with our way or our direction. We have to learn to practice embracing true humility and lift up our husbands' needs above our own. When I think about that, it challenges me because it means that his needs are always important and always more important than mine. It's a hard pill for me to swallow. And hopefully your husband will do the same for you, but if he doesn't, is that really the point of it? Is that really why you do it? Am I righteous and humble because I make my husband happy or even because he'll reciprocate? Or is it because I wanna make God's joy complete? The truth is when I make God happy, my husband's happy, but it doesn't always go around the other way. Does that make sense? When you make your husband happy, you don't always make God happy. I'll give you an example. If your husband wants to make love to you early in the morning and there's only time for making love or talking to God, and you choose spending time with your husband, then you grieve God in that decision. Because what it means is you decided that spending time with your husband was more valuable to you than spending time with your God. All right, amen. You guys are really quiet. I just, I just wanna say I struggle with this in general because I love spending time with my husband. I love it. I can do anything with him and I will enjoy it until he gets on my nerves and then I get over it. And then I enjoy it again. But the time that I spend with my husband should not rival the time that I spend with my God. The joy and fulfillment that I get from my relationship with God cannot rival the joy that I feel with my husband. We've gotta keep a pulse on this at all times, ladies, because Satan will slowly change our perspective without us even knowing it. And remember, ladies, that marriage is not the ultimate goal. A happy marriage is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is eternity with God. Thank you. Definitely want Tasha to have her quiet times. Just, just want to make sure I'm clear about that. Because I think probably have some of the elders in the room here. Just want to make sure I point that out. Uh, you know, I really appreciate everything that Tasha shared and her conviction. Uh, you know, I remember the, the, just a few minutes before we uh, got married, when, before I went up on the stage, um, back on September 25th, 1999, I remember looking right at the crowd and praying to God. And I said, God, if Tasha is not the one that's going to help me make it to heaven, I'm okay disappointing all these people. I'm okay hurting her feelings and making her family mad because I want to make it to heaven and I want to be able to help her make it to heaven. And I was grateful that the Holy Spirit gave us both peace as we made that choice to get married because making it to heaven is what matters. And that's why God has blessed us with a spouse is so that our spouse can help us to make it to heaven. And, uh, and I think that that's one of the things I just so greatly appreciate about this book. And I strongly recommend that you take some time to read the book. I just want to read you a quick excerpt from chapter three uh, under the title, 
do you want to be as humble as Jesus? Since we don't have time in this book to go through all the attributes of Jesus. So we want to focus on one. And this is, this is Francis speaking. Both Lisa and I believe that more than any other attribute of Jesus, his humility is the key to a healthy marriage. If two people make it their goal to imitate the humility of Christ, everything else will take care of itself. It's real, it really is that simple. You know, in your intimacy with each other, and we value having a healthy sex life, and I hope you also value having a healthy sex life. It's one of the great blessings of being married. But your sex life only lasts for this life. So you should enjoy it in this life because it's temporary. But in order to have a healthy sex life, it's really important that you consider the needs of your spouse above your own. And what I've found is when you think about the needs of your spouse, God really blesses your relationship. You know, there, there are times like Tasha said, where it's not a good time for us to have intimacy. And she's like, I just need some time to go pray. And I'm like, amen that you're a disciple. And I am too, I agree with this position. But amen. Nobody's laughing, a little nervousness. Maybe you don't like talking about sex, but you know, it's a blessing and it's in the Bible. God made it and God gave it as a gift to you. I hope you enjoy it. But the thing is, our marriage isn't defined by sex. Our marriage isn't defined by our parenting. Our marriage is defined by our relationship with God. Long before Tasha and I started dating and were engaged and were married, God allowed us to be best friends. And what I'm so excited about is that Tasha and I get to spend eternity forever. So I really want to encourage you, as we really pursue to do this ourselves, we really focus on building our relationship with each other. Because we know we're going to spend eternity. In this life, we get to be married. But for eternity, I plan on spending millions and millions of years with Tasha watching romantic movies in eternity. Incidentally, when we got married, Tasha forced me to watch three romantic comedies back to back on the first night, the second day, not the first night, the second day. That was really weird for me. It kind of freaked out my system. I felt emotions I didn't even know were there. It was really awkward. I had to go watch like a blow em up, shoot em up movie to feel like a man again. I was like crying and all sorts of weird stuff. But hey, but that's what she wanted to do, and she's my best friend, and that's what she was dreaming about, so we did that. You know, one of the things that we've had in our marriage, and we've talked about quite a bit, just in closing, is that, you know, I've struggled with this scripture in Philippians. You know, I got the, the privilege to serve in the ministry, and our whole marriage, we've served in the ministry together. And you know, when you serve in the ministry, you're giving to people, you have kids, you're giving to people, and then you know, there's a point where you're like, all right, I've denied myself enough, I'm not trying to deny myself anymore. I don't know if you can relate to this. I don't know if you ever feel like I'm about done denying myself. And I would share that with Tasha, and she's like, you know, but I, you know, honey, you, you still need to be righteous at home. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not Jesus. And Tasha would say, but you said you were going to follow Jesus. And I was like, yes. 
Okay, that's great. And I, I'm so challenged by the scripture because it takes such humility to learn to deny yourself. But we found such peace in our marriage as we've learned to deny ourselves and focus on our relationship with God first in with the spirit of humility. Humility doesn't come naturally to me. I'm really not naturally a spiritual person. That's why I gotta have my quiet time. Some people gotta have their coffee, gotta have a quiet time. Just gotta do it to make it. I'm just letting you know. I, I don't know if you're like really good. There are a couple of really spiritual people in this room. Maybe more than I know, but I'm not one of them. So I gotta have my quiet time. I gotta deny myself. I've gotta think about the interests of others as greater than my own interest. If we can leave you with one thing, the thing we want to encourage you with is that humility is the cardinal virtue. And if you practice humility in your marriage, God will bless that. We're not saying everything's going to work out and all the fights are going to be resolved and your husband's going to just get it right away and your wife is just going to be, you know, holier than Jesus, meek and mine. We're human beings. But you know, it's really hard to be prideful with a humble person. And I'm not talking about fake Kinglish humility. Because some of us, we've been disciples for a while. So we know, like, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. It's very different than, I am legitimately sorry that I hurt your feelings. Please tell me what I can do differently. And that is really hard for me to do. But I've found, and we've found in our marriage, that humility is the cardinal virtue. I encourage you to read through this fantastic book. Um, and all the resources that it provides. In our church, actually, a number of family groups are going through it. There's some great people that are in this room, like the Benjamins and many others that you can talk to that have really dived, dove deep into this book. But we're so grateful that as we talk about you and me forever, that we all get to spend eternity together. Amen? Amen. And I pray that in eternity, you'll be super excited to spend time with your spouse, who then will only be your brother and sister, but as long as we're in this place, let's exercise humility. It is the most important thing. Amen. Hey guys, great to see all of you. You really are the rock stars, man. It's four o'clock in the afternoon at the conference and most of you are awake, this is amazing. Um, you know, one of the cool parts of this book was he said, it starts out with the line, I want to set my family up for the future. And when we think about that, what, what tends to come to mind? Going to get that 401k in place, that retirement if you're military, whatever. And, and he talks about how that's the last 10 years, 20 years, maybe. Setting our family up for the future really has to be about eternity. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the principle of how it is impossible to have a godly marriage without a focus on the mission. Okay? We can all strive to have good marriages and, and that kind of thing. But to have a truly godly marriage, to fulfill God's plan for our marriages, it must be missional. So we're going to talk about five reasons to have a missional marriage. The first one... Uh, in Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 it reads therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock you know the first reason to have a missional marriage is because it provides a solid foundation Jesus is the one who gave us this mission to seek and save the lost that's why we're here the rest of our lives is to devote our lives to seeking and saving the lost 
we've always got to build our lives around that. Where we live, what we do with our time, everything in our life, including our marriages, is meant to be about making disciples. We live in a day and age where kids, if you have kids that are school age, they tend to dictate life oh, yeah. to many around us. Sports, extracurricular, the whole nine yards. As disciples, we cannot let kids dictate our schedules. The mission has to dictate our schedules. And how can we make every part of our lives evangelistic? How can you make soccer practice evangelistic or shuttling kids to and fro evangelistic? We have to rethink our lives to free up time for the mission. All right, for the brothers. You know, one of the key needs we have in marriage, we've all done the love and respect book, and what's man's key need? It's hard to respect rebellion. Like if we're not leading the way in mission and being missional and living missional lives, why are our wives going to respect us? We're rebelling against our Lord. Does that make sense? We've got to lead the way in this. We as men have got to say, okay, my family, we're going to love each other. We're going to take care of each other. But we're going to be about the mission. I think as women, you know, for many of us, we became disciples. Maybe we were already married. I was not married. As I have gotten married, I still have to make sure that being a disciple is first and foremost. And we live in a time where marriage-centered marriages can become applauded more than Christ-centered marriages. And for us as women, are we more focused on being a good wife or being a disciple of Jesus. Okay, so the first reason is because having a missional marriage provides a solid foundation of obedience to Jesus. Super important, right? Okay, second reason. Mission values our marriages. It gives value to our marriage. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it reads... For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Guys, Satan understands the value of your marriage. You know, we often talk about, we have to take care of our marriage because we understand that if we fall, if our marriage falters, we affect people. I actually had a young man the other day who I'm you know, studying the Bible with, he said, Rich, I am watching your marriage. I was like, okay, how, how closely, weirdo? <laughs> Looking in the window, it's like, <laughs> but seriously, they're paying attention. The whole world is watching us as followers of Jesus, and they want to know what's their life, what kind of fruit is their life really producing? And if Satan can get in there and destroy your marriage, he understands the value of that. I love that a godly marriage is the greatest image of God that we can show the world. You think of all of creation, you know, the days built up and then God created man and woman. And that's the part he was the most excited about. And each of us, man and woman, we are image bearers. And through our unity, we are able to present to the world a complete picture of God. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Like a man and woman living as one is the complete image of God. 
more than any man or any woman can be by themselves. So Satan understands, guys, what you have, your marriage, has eternal spiritual significance. That's pretty cool, huh? Go ahead and kiss your wife on that one. If you want, whatever. If not, don't. All right, number three. Guys, the third reason to build a missional marriage is because mission requires faith. You know, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we're all familiar with it, but it ends in verse 20 with Jesus saying, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. When I was younger in the faith, the first part fired me up. You know what I mean? You go to the campus things, you're like, yeah, we're going to win the world. And now I'm old and I'm like, yeah, Jesus is with us. It's awesome. He's going to stick with us. You know what I mean? Uh... But if we're not missional, is Jesus with us? You know, we can feel like, wow, my faith, I don't feel close to Jesus. He feels so far away. Well, maybe that's because we're chilling by the pool and he's out in the mission field. You know what I mean? If you want to get close to him, you're the one that's going to have to change locations. Does that make sense? So mission gives us a level of faith and connection with Jesus that he's put in place. And we've got to understand that that's where that's at. Oh, you don't have anything to say? Amen. <laughs> I'm going to say more. Oh, that's right. The, the second reason that mission, sorry, mission requires faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, and, and uh, then 19b through 20, where we're called to be ambassadors of Christ. That whole section starts out with, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As people of faith, we genuinely believe that there's a day coming when God will judge the world. We're going to stand before God, and praise God, we have the blood of Jesus covering us by grace, and that's awesome. Um, but God is going to look at our lives and say, well, where's the fruit? And not only that, everybody around us is going to stand before God. And if they don't have that same blood on them, it is going to be a terrible day. If we really believe these things, guys, we've got to be motivated. Paul said, well, since that's the case, we make it our goal to please the Lord. We're ambassadors of Christ. We tell everybody, go get right with God now. See, I worked in the conference thing. You see that? Guys, we're all going to be judged. Everybody around us is going to be judged. If we have faith, if we really believe that, then we will make decisions to seek and save the lost. And lastly, faith seeks God's reward. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. We must believe he exists. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, mission takes sacrifice. It's going to take our time. It's going to take sacrificing possibly our image, our comfort. And all of us have limited resources. We are not going to get any more time. You probably are not going to get much more money than what you currently have. We have what we have. And I love that God never faults us for what we don't have. But he holds us accountable for what we do have. And so, what do you have as women that you can give to God and make the most of that? And um, I wanted to share real briefly, you think about something like follow-up calls. Okay, you've got a few minutes, special service coming up, and I am going to make follow-up calls. We had neighbors of ours baptized because Rich took a few minutes and made follow-up calls for a special service. 
You're out sharing at Walmart, one of the families in our church. I'm going to be outward focused while I'm at Walmart. There's a couple baptized now because they took the little they had and stepped out on faith. And God does great things when we do that. See what hear a funny story about that faith, that, that follow-up call? I didn't even know the dude's name when they came to church. I was like, hey, everybody, this is... Ask him his name. <laughs> it worked, though. He's a Christian. Amen. All right. Uh, the fourth reason to have a missional marriage. Because being missional brings out the best in one another. You know, one of the great challenges in marriage, maybe you don't face this, I do, is we know each other really well. We do everything together. And it's very easy to become critical of the other person. When you're missional and you see them living a missional life, it brings out the best in that person. And Rich and I work together, but probably for many in this room, you don't work with your spouse, which means the opportunities to see your spouse as an ambassador in action is probably limited. You're not seeing each other in the workplace. When you are involved in the mission, you see each other in action. You get to see your husband be courageous in difficult conversations or wisdom when sharing the gospel with someone or sacrifice and love as you open up your home. The mission brings out this amazing ambassador that your spouse is. Lastly, uh, the reason, last reason I have a missional marriage is because it brings ex ex excitement. In Luke 10, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to our name. Guys, we've all been Christians long enough here in this room to know it's a whole lot more fun to be a disciple when you're like studying the Bible with people and people are coming out. And, you know what I mean? Like that is a whole lot more fun than just kind of ho-humming along and doing your thing. It's fun to have impact. It's fun to see God moving and doing incredible things. It's just exciting to be a part of uh, a part of the mission. We felt like we were not doing a great job of this as a family, reaching out to other families. And so earlier this year, we started what we called hospitality nights. And we did Thursday nights. We just carved out that that is going to be dinner where we invite people to come into our home. Maybe they're seeking God. Probably not, but we are just going to try to love people and get to know them. And so week after week, we just had various neighbors, friends come over, and it was so fun to get the family involved, the kids, meeting new people. It was awesome to be focused on the mission as a family. Yeah, it was fun because we would do it on Thursdays, and the kids would wake up on Thursday morning and be like, so who's coming over for dinner tonight? It was like their social engagement. They were all fired up by hanging out with people, so... It was great. Um, guys, there's so many reasons. These are just a couple of reasons. Uh, but ultimately, we can strive to have a good marriage, but we're not going to have a godly marriage if it's not truly about the mission. Um, so closing out a couple of practicals. You know, Matthew 25, verse 21, Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Not well believed, not well said, but well done. We live in a country where we are consumed with consuming. And even spiritually, now more than ever, we have access to so much spiritual food. 
beyond our quiet times. We hear sermons, we listen to podcasts, we can read articles, we consume, consume, consume. But are we doing something with what we are consuming? She threw the shot about the podcast in there. What's up with that? You should definitely listen to podcasts, especially the podcast I host that's out there in the booth. Amen. <laughs> so we got to do something, not just consume. So where do we start with this? I, I think uh, just a couple of practicals to close out. Have an honest conversation with one another. Um, what aspects, uh, if you looked at your life, what does it say about how much mission means to you? Your weekly schedule, what you're doing with your life. Uh, what does it say? What aspects are in blatant rebellion towards the mission? Uh, it's time to address those and change them. How can you begin to restructure your life to have the statement, make disciples at the center of your marriage and of your family? That ultimately is a godly marriage, you know, and, and all of us fight this battle. It's kind of funny. We are, uh, we planted the church in West Virginia seven years ago. We're missionaries, but we live in like suburbia, man. We got it awesome. We have a great life and it's super easy to get wrapped up in having a great life, having an easy life, having an amazing wife that I love and enjoy and kids and lose sight of the mission. This is a battle we've all got to fight constantly. We're not just going to have good marriages, but we're going to have godly marriages. Amen. We love you guys. Have a great afternoon. And we are dismissed.